we are in a series uh, that has been out of the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, you'll want to open it up, find the book of Matthew and look at chapter 10. And uh, we won't uh, spend a lot of time. We are wrapping up a series today. And so I'm going to bring you the final word on this series. Uh, we'll continue in Matthew next week, but it kind of changes uh, themes and, and emphases. So um, we're, we're wrapping up what we're talking about today with respect to the mission of Christ. So uh, I hesitate to even bring this up because for most of you it's ancient history. For me, I was about 11 years of age. But in 1968, uh, our country was in a lot of strife. Our country was uh, really fracturing and splintering and in danger of, of coming apart. And it was the uh, decade when two Kennedys were killed and uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I was living in Memphis in 68 when uh, Dr. King was killed. And I remember one day going to school and, um, you know, it was just a normal day of school. And the street that I crossed uh, that was a real busy street had an officer there, like always, directing traffic and letting kids go across the next day. That officer was in riot gear, and there were police all over my campus and every other school campus and so on. And when it was a wild, crazy time. It was also presidential election year. And the story is told about Nixon uh, being on this whistle-stop kind of tour. He's going town to town to town by train. And he came to a little town in Iowa, uh, or actually it was in Ohio, Deschler, Ohio, and uh, there was, you know, a gathered crowd to welcome and greet him. And there was a little 13-year-old girl there that became semi-famous out of that whole thing, Vicki Lynn Cole. Uh, they told the kids at school, um, presidential candidate Nixon is coming to town. If you'd like to go out and be a part of those that greet him, um, we want you to wear red, white, and blue and make a little sign that welcomes him and so on. So she did that, along with several other little girls. And she was at the train station, and the train pulls in, and uh, out of all the kids with all the signs, Nixon took note of hers. And the sign said, uh, bring us together. All this division, all this strife, all this craziness going on in the decade, and Nixon told his staff, that needs to be our theme. That needs to be our platform. And so they scrapped all these other ideas that they had had. That came to the top. And from that point on, their theme for their, their convention and for the election was bring us together. And uh, when he was elected at his inauguration, he invited the little girl and her family to come to the inauguration. And again, she had her 15 minutes of fame and, and uh, then kind of dropped off the scene. Sometime later... You know how people are. What, whatever happened to, they began to look into this little girl to see what, what happened with her later in life. And here's the rest of the story. The rest of the story is that on that day when Nixon came to town, she actually had another sign that said, LBJ convinced us to vote Republican. And she was standing in line and holding that little sign. 
And when the train stopped and the police dropped the rope and they allowed people to move forward, in the press of the crowd, she got bumped and knocked and she dropped her sign and she ran up to the front with everybody else and saw a sign laying face down, picked it up and held it up. <laughs> Bring us together. A case of the accidental message. And you know me, I, I look at stuff like that and it just makes me reflect. How many of us have done that with the gospel? You know, we have hope that God can make some kind of difference. We have hope that God would show up in some kind of way with power and help. And in our anticipation of greeting him, oh, let me pick up this one. Jesus saves. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the Savior. See, that little girl simply was opportunistic, was able to maximize a moment. And I wonder if we are opportunists in the sense of, you know, that, that's a pretty good message. Let me just kind of grab that for a while. And it never grabs us. Because the fact of the matter is, friends, if you have met the living Jesus Christ, because he didn't just die for our sins. He rose again. If you've met him, if you know him, if you have a daily connection, engagement, relationship with him. If you've committed yourself to follow him. Then his message becomes your message. You know, cut me and I bleed Christ and his mission. It's not something that, uh, you know, I'll just hold up when it's convenient or opportunistic to hold up. So, uh, as mentioned a moment ago, we have been moving through this matter of his mission for these weeks. And we've been talking about if you if you have any kind of stirring, any kind of inclination to follow Christ, that's because he's been pursuing your heart. That's because he's been wooing and drawing you to follow him. And if you say a yes to following him, then you have responded to a call on your life to live and to do his mission, which is to seek and to save those who are lost, which is to carry his message. We all stand condemned already. And there is no hope for a sinful humanity in the face of a holy God except for Jesus Christ paying the price, atoning for our sin, making it possible for us to be forgiven and have eternal life. That's our message. That's our hope. Cut us and we bleed that. That's our call. And there is a cost that goes with living that way and, and being on mission and sharing good news and hoping and praying for people to come to Christ. And it, it, it calls for courage. You get in some dicey situations that uh, can be a little threatening. 
in numerous kinds of ways. It will bring conflict, as we were talking about last week, because Jesus Christ is the most divisive person who ever lived. I know we want to talk about Jesus as love and God as love, and He's all about reconciling things like that. But as we discovered in last week's text, He said, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. I came to divide people. You're either with me or you are not with me and therefore against me. And you go, but I, I thought he was the Prince of Peace. Yes, he came to bring peace between us and God. And everyone that says yes to his invitation to be reconciled to God, to have peace with God, no longer had enmity with God, then that begins to leave you at conflict with everyone else that doesn't get on that same page. And that doesn't mean we get ugly or obnoxious or irritating about that kind of thing. It just makes a difference. And it just makes us wonder along the way, is it worth it? And so today we're talking about the culmination of all that reaching the, the, the climax of the apex of what is it that this is all headed toward, all leading to. And we will get at that in Matthew chapter 10 as we get to the end of that chapter. So if you have your Bible and you're ready to look at that, we're only going to look at a couple of verses, say a couple of things, and we're going to wrap it up, okay? So here we are in chapter 10, verse 40. Jesus saying, as he's wrapping it all up, Whoever receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person, because he is a righteous person, will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, even a cup of cold water, because he is a disciple, Truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So let's say a couple of things about that, and then we'll wrap it up. Being on mission with Christ culminates in, it results in our having a very, very clear sense of identity. Who are you? Of course, the philosophers for all the centuries have been trying to help us to answer that. And you've sought to answer that. I've sought to answer that through a number of life experiences, through whatever relationships, whatever accomplishments, whatever kind of career tracks. This is who I am. But for the Christ follower, the Bible makes it clear that when you give your heart when you give your allegiance to Jesus, you become a Christ person. That is who you are. It's not something that's added to who you are. It's not, I'm Scott and I'm a Christian. It's at the core of who I am and it defines me. It shapes me. So much so, Jesus said that when you therefore go in my name, as people respond to you, they're actually responding to me. 
That's how connected our lives become with Jesus. That we literally bear, carry the presence of Christ in us wherever we go. And with respect to our being His ambassador, His representative, His on-mission man or woman, how people deal with us about that, respond to us about that, is in fact how they are responding to Him. That's how much it's a, a part of our identity. Paul, the apostle, later would say it this way, we are no longer our own. We are His. So for you or for me to follow Christ is no longer to do life my way. You know, the old Sinatra thing, I did it my way. It absolutely has no room in the life of a follower of Christ. I did it His way. You see, we no longer had the boardroom. And uh, my, my recreation representative sits at the board. My vocation representative sits at the board. My family representative sits at the board and so on. And I'm at the head table and we convene and we decide how we're going to live life. And I'm going to have this kind of thing happen with my work life, this kind of thing happen with my family life. It no longer happens that way. I get out of the chair that says chairman and Jesus takes over. I turn the entire organization of my life over to a new CEO. That's what it means to follow Christ. That's the, that's the identity that you and I begin to take on. And it is filled with promise. There are promises for you for following Christ, for giving your life, for paying the price and the cost to go through... Uh, courageous necessary scenarios and situations to, uh, for, for enduring the conflict. There are rewards for you and there are rewards for those who treat you well. And there are rewards for you when you treat other people who are on mission well. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, but let me just say this. When you pray for missionaries, when you look for ways to bless missionaries, this is part of you receiving more of the rewards as you are treating well those who are also on mission. And so if you don't already do this, I want to encourage you. You can subscribe to the International Mission Board online or to the North American Mission Board online, and they will feed your email box every day some prayer requests for our 10,000 missionaries. Uh, if you prefer, you can also do that via Facebook. Go to imb.org slash Facebook and, and every day there'll be uh, one, two, three different little things pop up on your Facebook page where you can stay in the conversation of what's going on around the globe with missionaries that we partner with. And you can pray for them and you can pray for the situations and there's reward in that for you. But when we start thinking about more locally, when you treat those who are on mission for Christ that are changing diapers in our nursery well, 
you've treated Christ well. When you treat those who in our promised land ministry teach our children about the things of Christ, you're treating Him well. When those are doing all the tech stuff, all the music stuff, all the other kinds of ministries that we do around here, when you bless them, when you pray for them, when you support them, when you encourage them, when you come alongside of them, your treating them well is treating Christ well. And there's reward in that. Interesting word, mythos, the word that's translated reward. It's found 30-something times across the New Testament, and some of the time it's used, it's translated as the word reward. Some of the time it's translated as the word wages, depending on the context. In other words, it pays. To follow Christ and to treat well those who follow Christ. Now, this is not a new idea. This is an idea that uh, you saw happen over and over in the Old Testament. You look at 1 Kings, and you see the story of the prophet Elijah, who was having to go through a certain area of the country, and he didn't have any food or water, and he stopped where this widow was living, who was in such a poverty-stricken situation, uh, she wasn't going to be able to survive. And he stopped at her place and said, uh, could you give me a little drink and a little bread? And she goes, actually, I only have this much flour and this much oil. I was going to prepare it for me and my son. We were going to eat our last meal and die. That's pretty bleak. And he said, I'll tell you what, prepare it for me. And God will bless you. And so she did. Got the flour and the oil, made him a little cake, a little bread, and gave him something to eat. And then when she went back to discard her empty uh, jar of oil, it was full. And when she went to her little jar of flour, it was full. She made herself and her son some food, and she turned around and looked back at these jars. They were full. And that went on for some period of time where God took care of her, blessed her in temporal kinds of ways. We hadn't even gotten to the eternal yet for the way that she had treated one of God's servants. Turn the, the page into the next book, Second Kings, and you get into the life of Elisha, who's traveling about doing God's work and he keeps going through this one area and this woman noticed that he keeps going through this one area and she tells her husband they have some means they they have a little bit of wealth she said you know what we ought to make an addition onto our house make a a profit room if you will and every time this prophet comes through he can stay the night at our place and so they did. They built an addition onto their house, and they put a bed in there, and they put a desk in there, and they put a lamp in there, and so on. And the next time he came by, they said, hey, stay at our place. And he stayed at their place every time he came through that area. And God blessed that childless couple with a child. On and on and on, I could go over the stories. But uh, this kind of idea that Jesus is putting forth had been going on for centuries prior with respect to how you treated God's servants, how you treated those who were living on mission for God, uh, would come back to you in some kind of payment, in some kind of reward. Now, Jesus will go on to say, as we get into the later chapters of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 28, he said, uh, as you are faithful in following me in these kinds of ways, eventually I'm going to have you sitting on thrones. I'm going to have you ruling and reigning in the kingdom that is to come. 
in chapter 19, verse 29, he says, you know, some of the things that you're going to lose along the way, some of the costs, some of the price that you're going to pay for being on mission for me, I'm going to make sure you're repaid a hundred times over. And in Matthew 25, 21, he said, now, even as you're faithful with just some little responsibility that I give you, little responsibility, eventually I'm going to make sure that you have a lot that you get to oversee. We could go on and on and on. There's a whole lot that the Bible says about the rewards that come our way, the kinds of blessings that, that Jesus wants to bring into our lives, some of which happens now, temporally, most of which happens later, eternally. Which leads me to finish with this. And we've talked about this many times in here. So I'm, I'm just quickly reminding us, friends. We have to remember that everything that happens in this life, the Bible says, is like a vapor. It's like a mist. It's here and gone. If you get 70 years, if you get 80 or 90 years in this world, it's like a vapor. It's here and it's gone. All of life, almost all of life, the overwhelming amount of life happens after you die. And so the way that plays out is, see, you didn't exist eternally in the past, but you do exist eternally in the future. Once you have been conceived by the presence of God and the uh, partnership of your mother and father, and you have life, you are born into this world, but you're also born into eternity. You will never cease to be once you've been conceived. And so some of us get this little parenthesis in this temporal world, this thing called time, 10 years, 20 years, 50 years, 80 years, 90 years, who knows what that is, but it all, it's all like a, a mist and a vapor, and it's gone. And then you die. And just like you went through this process of being birthed into this world as we know it, then death becomes your birth into the world that is to come. It transitions you into the world that is to come. So you die physically, which simply means this tabernacle, this body, no longer functions and no longer serves its purpose to house you in this world. But you, who are inside and inhabit that body, continue to live. And you go to a destination. Now, that destination has already been determined. You say, when did that get determined? That got determined while you were alive. If you decided to follow Christ and you believed on Christ and His saving work for your life, then that uh, creates a trajectory for your life in one way. But if you chose to reject Christ, to reject His message, to reject His truth and reality, then that sets your life on another trajectory, another way. One is a destination that puts you in the Father's house in the Father's presence. The Bible calls it heaven. Forever. The other is a condemning, separating, sending you away 
from God's presence. And the Bible says anything that's away from God's presence is hell. And those things are determined before you die. So then you die and you take off in your direction of destination. Now, when you get to that destination and you begin to appear before the living God, He resurrects your, your body so that a new body is therefore put around who you are to house who you are. Everyone is resurrected. Those who chose Christ, those who didn't choose Christ. And then there's the time for repayment. Everybody is judged. Those in Christ, those who are not in Christ. And at that point, it's determined whether you receive rewards or if you receive retribution based upon what you did on earth. Now, your destination was determined by your belief, but your repayment is determined by your behavior. How did you actually live in this world? Believers and non-believers both get judged at that point, and then they either receive rewards or retribution. And there are degrees of that. There are amounts of that. I don't have time to unpack all that today. We've talked about it many times in here. But the more faithful, the more involved, the more engaged, the more sacrificial, the more selfless that you have been for the cause of Christ and the person of Christ in this life, there is a, a uh, commiserate, a, a ratio of reward that goes with that on the other side. And the amount of of uh, waywardness from God and grief toward the cause of Christ and, and uh, distress that you brought to His purposes in this world, the greater your retribution and your uh, punishment on the other side. And then you're in eternity. That goes on forever and ever and ever. Either in His presence, heaven, or absent from His presence, hell. And so when those who follow Christ in the, in the heat of the mission and paying whatever kinds of price and dealing with whatever kinds of uh, courageous, necessary circumstances and situations and, and persevering through whatever kinds of conflicts, when you come to that point where you wonder, okay, this is not fun. Is this going to be worth it? Jesus says, oh, it's going to be worth it. Both for the price that you paid and the life you lived, led, as well as for the way that you supported, encouraged, blessed others that were on mission for me. Which leads me to ask, What's the message of your life? Is it something you just kind of haphazardly picked up off the ground, seemed good for the moment? Or is it the message of the Bible that has absolutely gripped your life? That Jesus is the way, the truth, 
and the life and that no man, no one comes to the Father but by Him. That the reason that we still draw breath is to, with Jesus, seek and to save those that are lost. Will you follow Christ and serve Him on mission? Those go together. You can't follow Christ and not serve Him on mission. I know, churches are filled with people that have signed a membership form and they say, I follow Christ, and they are not on mission. Friends, that's a problem. That's a problem that will have some very eternal consequences to it. Because uh, the Bible is very clear. One of the evidences that you truly do follow Him is that you are on mission and there are certain fruits that come out of that. So, no fruit. If there's no apples, it ain't an apple tree. So, will you follow Christ and serve Him on mission? Will you support and encourage others? who are on mission for Christ. Will you be a part of the movement that God is stirring, always moving about, right here in our own community and around the globe? See, we're global. We're both local and global kinds of people. We care about what happens across the street and across the world. Is that who you are? Let's pray about these things. So God, you brought us to a very sobering moment. Really kind of a heart check, gut check kind of thing about where are we really with respect to you. And Father, uh, help us. Help us to get through mental rationalizations and mental games that we play with ourselves and self-deception are we yours have we had a new birth where you've taken up residency at the boardroom of our lives where you're the CEO who calls all the shots and who we are so God I pray today that you would not allow any of us to live in deception. To think that we've got it squared away with you if in fact we're just kind of playing an opportunistic religious game. I pray that your spirit would help us know the truth. And Father, for those of us that have... Uh, given our heart to you, I pray. The work of your encouragement upon us today, the work of your empowerment that we might keep on keeping on, that we might persevere for the sake of Jesus in your kingdom. We pray that in his name. Amen. Amen. So this little moment right now is a decision moment. A commitment moment. And maybe you'd have to say in the course of our conversation, uh, you know, I've kind of been on the religious side, or not even so religious, but I know that I'm not 
possessed by the person of Christ and his mission. Friend, if, if you'd like to cross that line of faith and commitment today, you can. That's what this divine appointment has been about for you. God's been calling, wooing, drawing you to cross a line of faith and commitment and say, okay, I am yours. Please save me. Please forgive me. Please make me your child. Now, that little connection card we referenced earlier is a way that you can communicate about that. If you'd like to put down in the prayer uh, line below, um, I want to make this kind of faith commitment to Christ. Put it there and I'll pray for you. If you'd like to have a conversation about it, I'd be pleased to have a conversation with you about it. It's up to you. But maybe you made some other commitments today. You go, you know, I've, I've had some slippage. I've had a little drifting going on. My heartbeat has not been a missional heartbeat. And God's doing a course correction in my life. And, and I am going to be on mission for Him. I'm, I'm going to be uh, one of those who knows how to support others who are on mission well. Maybe there's some other commitment. But make that unto Him as your act of worship. If you would, put it on your connection card. We'll pray for you. We'll try to support and encourage you in your decision. This is also when we worship with our tithes and our offerings. So if you came prepared today to worship God in that kind of way, uh, you may do so. We're going to invite our ushers to come now. Lord, we give you gifts and we give you commitments. In Jesus' name, amen.